In health news, almost every conversation has focused on coronavirus, particularly Wuhan from China. Currently, there are five cases confirmed in the United States. While the novel disease has captured attention, several strains of another contagious disease already exist in this country. Just alone in Maryland, as of January 18th, there have been 16,766 confirmed cases, with 15 deaths. That disease is the flu. Heather Mongilio has talked a lot about the flu in her reporting, especially about the flu vaccine. But one thing that separates the flu from coronavirus is the attention. Although the flu has not been talked about as causing a pandemic, the flu can be deadly. Lachlan DeSantis, a five-year-old Frederick County boy, died last week due to flu-related sepsis. I'm Alan Etzler, and this is Frederick Uncut. This week, we're flipping the script. I'll be interviewing Uncut producer Heather Mongilio, who covers health-related issues for the Frederick News Post. Heather, you wrote that story. It was a great story about Lachlan DeSantis. I want to talk a little bit more about that. First, I want to go into what did you learn about Lachlan and who he was as a child through the reporting of that. Well, one thing, um, just not even from reporting, but just from the pictures that I saw, um, because his family actually invited us into their home. Um, he's always smiling, and that's one thing that they talked about. He always had a smile on his face. He was very giving. They shared a lot of different memories about that. Um, one thing that they mentioned was he had a rock tumbler kit or rock digging kit, and he, like, spent hours on his backyard, like, digging through this kit, and then the next day he, like, had wrapped all the gems in the pouch and took them to his school so that he could share them with his friends. Um, so kind of in that giving spirit, it was kind of why his parents felt like they needed to talk to the Frederick News Post's so soon they actually invited us into their home on friday which was two days before the funeral for their son can you and i want to backtrack a little bit to talk about the flu kind of generally you've reported a lot on it what are you hearing and seeing about the flu in frederick county this year and, and how uh bad i guess it's been how uh debilitating it's been for people and how contagious it's been so i just want to preference this by saying i'm a health reporter not a doctor um but from what I've seen from what happened in Australia, which usually gets the flu before us just because of how the hemispheres work, um, it was kind of expected that this might be a bad flu year. And I've heard a lot that um, just from seeing the numbers of the weekly reports that the health department and at the state level puts out, there has been a lot of cases so far. And we're now just kind of getting into the peak flu season. It happened a little bit earlier than I think a lot of people were expecting. Um, one thing that was really interesting is that it led with the type B Victoria strain, which generally comes at the end of a flu season. So from the beginning, this was kind of a weird flu season. Um, and that one has particularly affected children. Now, Lachlan, according to his parents, had a type A strain. So it's not quite the case, but it has been interesting that it was type B. Um, it was covered by the flu vaccine, but I've also heard that this might not be a great match here. Mm. And for our listeners who maybe haven't read the story, can you kind of take us through the timeline? Because this all happened really fast. Yeah, it happened extremely fast. And I think that's one of the things that's kind of scary about this story. So Friday, Lachlan comes home from school, tells his parents his legs kind of hurt. I think his mother said that he had a low-grade fever, but she wasn't too concerned. Saturday morning, he was playing with his brothers. Um, He loved to play hockey, so they were playing hockey. And then his legs started to you know, hurt. He still had a low-grade fever. Sunday, he stopped eating and drinking, and that was very unusual. His legs were getting worse, so he took, or his parents took him to urgent care, 
and they said it's probably dehydration, which matches up with the flu. That's one of the things you you don't feel well, um, so you have to make sure you have a lot of fluids. But Sunday night, he was getting worse, and by Monday morning, they decided to take him to the hospital. Um, and at that point, um, one of the most heart-wrenching quotes that um, his mother, Brooke, told me was that she just knew. She knew something was really wrong, and she knew there was no way that they were um, going to come back, and she just hoped that maybe there'd be a miracle. And so he got to the hospital around noon, and by 2 p.m. he died. And one of the things that um, they learned was that it was not necessarily caused by the flu, but it was flu-related sepsis, which is an extreme reaction to an infection. And can you sort of tell our, our listeners how how that can happen, how you can go with a, a seemingly just kind of a, a sickness and have it devolve into this deadly, deadly infection, which kills millions across the world. So again, health reporter, not doctor, but um, sepsis happens to all sorts of infections. I think a lot of people think about like, oh, I cut my finger, so now there's an infection in my body and that's um, reacting. But it can happen because the flu is, and it's affecting your body, your immune system's responding, and it's just an extreme reaction. So it, it doesn't happen in all cases, but in some cases because you have the flu, your body just might overreact and it ends up going after your organs that it's not supposed to. And it just can move so quickly. You mentioned earlier that this family invited you into their home uh, only 48 hours before they were burying their five-year-old child. Um, Why did they feel the need to tell us about this story and, and spread awareness for what happened to Lachlan? So I think one of the things is that they just want to make people aware that they that flu-related sepsis exists, and that's something that you should um, request for, um, especially if your children aren't getting better. Um, they, I think one of the things that they were most frustrated by was that it just seemed like no one knew, and they didn't know the science, so how could they know to ask? Now they do, and it's too late. Mm-hmm. And they were just trying to make it so no one else has to go through that. Um, but I think it also goes back to Lachlan. Um, they talked about how he was giving, and they thought he would want them to be doing this. And at the top of this, I mentioned about how all of the conversation we seem to be hearing is about the coronavirus, um, and so little is surrounds the flu. Why do you think that is? Why do you think so little attention seems to be paid to the flu? I think it's because, to to take it back to 2016 when Ebola was, was coming up, everyone was talking about Ebola, and everyone was scared Ebola was going to come here, and it's going to be the next world pandemic. And... It makes sense because you see a lot of people dying. In, in China right now, they are having quite a few uh, deaths. I think they were up to 80 at this point in a lot of cases, and it's happening very quickly. Um, and I think in the same sense, like Ebola happened very quickly. The flu is several months. It starts around November, December, and lasts until the end of March. So you're seeing a long spread thing. And I think there's a point where it's like, oh, it's the flu. It happens every season. Like, um, I mean, we even had people in our newsroom who used to joke, oh, I could use the flu because I could use a couple pounds. Like, it's just taken as this, like, disease that comes with winter. Um, but it does kill people every year. I mean, we've had, besides Lachlan, there was another prolific death, um, I think two years before I got here, of someone who died from the flu. Yeah, back in 2017, there was a bartender uh, from Firestone's bar named Colleen Morin who uh, died from the flu. She was um, beloved by a lot of downtown uh not just bar goers but uh, business folks and, and folks like that who uh, really took a liking to her so. so it's just one of those things where um we, you talk about hype and people get hyped about these diseases in the sense that they just feel like this is the this is the disease that's going to get us um 
And it is scary. I mean, you hear people, you, you're started in Seattle. Now you have cases in Chicago. So there's this coronavirus is spreading and it's a little bit faster. Um, but to get a little bit technical, coronavirus right now, as of um, the reporting that's come out so far from Stat News, which is one of um, a good source on this, um, it has a reproductive rate of two to three, which basically means from one person, they can affect two to three people. The flu, it's hard because there are so many different strains. So the H1N1, the swine flu, is a little bit different than the type B, but you're ranging from 0.9 to 2.1. So you're still looking at relatively small reproductive rates um, to really compare measles, which you know no one really thinks about anymore, except when we're talking about anti-vaxxing. Um, that has a reproductive rate of 18. So one person can infect 18 people. So mm -hmm. it's just one of those things where our brains just cannot handle what exists in, um, in terms of like that boring flu or that boring measles. But some, you know, brand new disease that looks scary, we're all over that. And what, what would you recommend to people who are, uh, to our readers in terms of how they go about uh, protecting themselves from the flu? Well, first, the flu shot is still available. Um, you should get it if you haven't. It is a little late in this uh, flu season, but you can. it will still work. It will take a little time, but I think it takes like seven days to be really effective, but it's still a good um, way to protect yourself. Even if it's not a good match, you're still protecting yourself a little bit, um, which is more than if you don't have it. Wash your hands. I mean, stay away from people. I mean, the one thing I think that we forget is when we get adult, be adults, and even in kids, um, if you're sick, stay home. <laughs> It, it sounds stupid because you're thinking, all right, I can't miss that day at work. But if you have the flu, you could be affecting the person who sits next to you who can go home and affect them. If your kid is sick, stay home with your kid. Your kid can affect your um, their friends. I mean, we're, kids are, it's the flu. I mean, it's flu season. Everyone's wiping their nose or coughing. Like, those are germs that will be spreading. Well, Heather, thank you so much for uh, talking to me about this story. I know typically we do it the other way around. Uh, but it was a very important story for our, our listeners and our readers to, to know about. And just before I go, I really do want to thank the DeSantis family because, as we've mentioned, they invited us into their home days before they had to bury their son. Um, that's a little unusual, and I really feel like they wanted to get their message out, which is good. Um, but also, as a reporter, I really want to thank them for willing being willing to share their story so quickly. Well, thanks again, Heather. I know you're going to continue to uh, follow the flu very closely, as you've, as you've done all season. Um, and with that, we're going to uh, transition back into kind of how we normally do the episode with uh, what we're looking forward to this week. All right, Alan. So what are we looking forward to this week? Uh, so I, I think there's uh, several kind of uh, larger stories in play that I'm interested in, in hearing about. And one of them is uh, actually another one of your stories, and that's going to be uh, stories of um, people who are going to give their tales of their journey to this country at an immigration um, event this week that you're going to preview. So I'm kind of interested uh, giving it the mic back to you, but what are you kind of looking forward to in that? What's the story you're hoping to tell there? Because I, I think that's another one that's important for us as a newspaper to share. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the first things I kind of want to talk about is it's not just people from the countries that we're talking about all the time on the national stage. Um, so I think one of the people that I'll be interviewing is someone from Nigeria. Um, so it's just a bunch of different immigration stories. And I'm hoping just to talk a little bit about 
um, why these people decided to come to the United States, some of the challenges they faced, and also ask them a little bit about what it's like to hear all this conversation about immigration, you know, locally with the 287G program and the rallies that we've had, but also nationally when they turn on their TVs. What does it feel like to know that they're someone that the president or other people are kind of talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of the stories I think um, we need to be sharing is, more importantly, the how and the why people got here, not just the fact that they're here and whether or not that's legal or illegal or documented or undocumented or whatever you want to use. I, I think um, we don't talk enough about kind of these people looking for that American dream and that being the impetus for why they why they come uh, to this country. Um, another story I'm, I'm really uh, interested to see this week is... Um, a story from our education reporter, Katrina Pereira, who is going to dive into Sibyllisville uh, Elementary School. Uh, it's a small elementary school uh, about as far north and as far west in this county that you can go. Um, has about 74 students in it, uh, which is well below its capacity. Um, that the Frederick County Board of Education uh, brought up last week at their uh, Board of Ed meeting that they should think about closing. And it's going to be, you know, a school of 74 students, totally under capacity. You could think, okay, maybe maybe you close that school. But given the amount of growth in this uh, county, given the number of schools uh, that are dealing with capacity issues, it seems odd to think about closing a school at this point. And so uh, Katrina's going to dive into uh, the implications of that, how a school with only 74 kids operates and, and runs. Um the costs to the county uh, for keeping a school open like that that's under capacity, whether or not you could redistrict those students to or redistrict students to uh, that school to operate at that capacity and maybe allow for some relief at at uh, other schools. So I think that's, you know, we talk so much about growth um, and capacity issues at school, but really putting um, faces on it is something that's that's really valuable to to our community. And I think, I mean, school is always going to be such a hot topic um, for people because it's their children. But I think as someone who's kind of an outsider of Frederick County, I've always been consistently shocked by how schools are run here just because we talked earlier about a mixed grade school because they only mm -hmm. had like nine teachers. And I just couldn't imagine an elementary school with only nine teachers. So to find out there's another school with 74 kids, is it's very interesting and mm. But you talked about the growth. It's very interesting to see closing schools because of growth almost. Yeah. The um, the mixed grade thing is actually a super interesting concept, and I think we'll see more of it. And I think we actually might be leaning towards a, a uh, path of maybe getting rid of grades altogether. Um, so that's a fascinating trend in itself to follow in, in education. Um, and then the last story I'm, I'm looking forward to this week is, is well, not the last story, but the one I'll, last one I want to bring up is uh, from Steve Bonell, who's doing an update on the um, the Church of Scientology uh, moving to Trout Run, uh, which is up in the Catoctin Mountains. And uh, they're opening a rehab facility there, and that was a really contentious issue, I say four years ago, back in 2015, 2016, four or five years ago. Um, it was really, neighbors were upset, they didn't want to, uh, the Church of Scientology, uh, much less, but they didn't want a rehab facility there. Um, and ultimately it's moving forward. They've received permits to, uh, begin construction and building and things like that. And so, um, an update to see where that project is going and uh, kind of, it's another opportunity to gauge where the community is now and how they feel about it now. Cause you know, it's up in the mountains. 
those types of things they can leave your memory you know you can just kind of forget that it's happening uh, you don't see progress day to day on it and so it, it just you don't think about it but then when you write a story like this it starts that conversation back up and it, it'll be interesting to see where people fall if they still fall in the same place knowing knowing what we know now five years later about the opioid crisis and and uh, uh, challenges that drug addiction are bringing our community um, people might see it as maybe necessary now and, and maybe be a little bit more open to it. I'm particularly interested in that story just as a follow-up because we talk, I mean, I've, from covering health so often, you see how much the church plays or other uh, places of worship play into, um, you know, talking about substance abuse disorder and recovery. Scientology is a little bit different. You don't think of Scientology really even as a church. No. And but so, it is. So I'm, in, I'm very interested to see how they plan to approach opioid use disorder. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting uh, dichotomy in itself that I think if it were the church of, uh, you know, a United Methodist church that wanted to open up this rehab facility there, what would the reaction of the community have been? Is it just the church that people are up in arms about? Is it really the facility? Um, so I'll be, I'm, yeah, I'm interested in the conversation that comes out of this one. All right, great. Well, Alan, thank you so much for taking the reins earlier today and also for giving us an update on what's to come. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Katrina, um, where did you go to eat this week? This week I went to Tapias on Main in Middletown. All right, so I think we talked about this before, but when you say Tapias on Main, we all kind of thought tapas. Tapas, yes. Is it a tapas place? (laughs) It's not a tapas place at all. All right, perfect. So what is it? So it's kind of like um, a modern Italian brick oven pizza classy little joint all right perfect well i think the spoiler alert i went on the review um and i think the first thing that we first discovered was a little hard to get to the restaurant yeah i mean it's like right on the side of the road which is fine but the parking lot is kind of behind the building and then you have to walk down and the entrance is on the side very odd um but i guess that was just the design of the space but inside's beautiful beautiful space inside i mean like i am absolutely in love with the decor the decor excuse me and um just like the whole vibe of it so does the food live up to the vibe of the restaurant to a point yes um i you know for the most part i was pretty impressed with the food um they are a new restaurant they've only been open since october i believe and um you know with any new restaurant there are kinks that have to be worked out and maybe improvements that can be made over the first year and i definitely think that's the case for them um but overall i was pretty impressed all right so i think the first thing to talk about is it's brick oven pizza so what was the pizza like yeah so um the pizza is kind of your wow i don't know what's going on with my voice um kind of your standard you know artisan brick oven pizza um they have a few of their signature pies which are a little different than what you might normally get on a menu um like they one of their most popular which we tried was their hot italian um which is you know regular pizza base and then pepperoni jalapenos um a little bit of like ricotta and a drizzle of chili infused honey Um, which was pretty good for the most part. But what I found when eating it was that the honey was a little weird in the sense that some bites, I felt like there was like 
a load of honey in the bite and then the other bites there was like no honey at all so I was a little confused as to why that was happening and also the thing that I didn't like about it was that it was incredibly greasy I mean I'm talking like I was dabbing the grease off my slice with my napkin which I have not done since like eating pizza in school cafeterias so I don't know why that is I don't know if it's the combination of the ingredients or what the deal is but their other pies didn't seem to be as greasy all right. Well, when it comes to pizza, crust is pretty important. Was the crust good? So when I think brick oven, I think like that really like doughy kind of crust, um, you know, kind of like puffs up along the side and, you know, a little bit of charring here and there, which kind of, which kind of gives it that nice flavor. Topias crust was a little thin and a little crunchy for my liking, and it didn't really give me that brick oven taste that I was expecting. But for some people, they may like this. So, All right. So crust that leaves you a little bit more wanting. But what about their entrees? Did you try anything there? Yes. So I went for dinner and I tried two of their entrees. I tried uh, their lasagna and their crab cakes um, because, you know, we're in Maryland and every single restaurant has a crab cake on their menu. Kind of an interesting thing for what otherwise seems like an Italian place. Yes. Um, so the lasagna, I will say I was pretty disappointed with it. Um there wasn't a lot of filling, meaning like no ricotta, I mean, barely any ricotta, um, a little bit of meat here and there, but I kind of felt like I was just t- tasting the lasagna noodles more than anything else. Um, the one thing I did like about the lasagna was that they coated it in like melted mozzarella, and I'm a huge fan of mozzarella mm-hmm. and a huge fan of melted mozzarella. So that really like saved the lasagna for me and made me want to keep eating it. But in terms of hitting those like standard lasagna marks, it didn't. Um, the crab cake, on the other hand, was exceptional. I mean, one of the meatiest crab cakes I've ever had in my life. It was like practically perfect. Um, and, you know, for being a Maryland restaurant, that's like a pretty high standard to meet. And I will say that I took my grandmother on this review and she is the queen of crab cakes. I mean, if we are at a restaurant and there's a crab cake on the menu, you know she's ordering it. And she had it and she said that it was one of the best she's ever had. Kind of interesting because it's not, I mean, yet like you said, a Maryland restaurant, you're going to find things with crab on it, but everything else seemed to be Italian. Sorry, Italian uh, style food, pizza, Mm -hmm. lasagna, I think some Parmesan's on there. So it was kind of surprising that the crab cake stands out. Yeah, the crab cake was probably one of the best things I had. All right, perfect. So go for the crab cakes. Yes. Skip the lasagna maybe unless you really love mozzarella and just want mozzarella covered noodles. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there any pizza that you'd recommend? I think the hot Italian besides the greasiness, you know, I would I would recommend it. It's one of their most popular and I understand why. So if you're into spiciness, go for that. But they also have, you know, like a lot of like classic margarita, cheese. They have a Hawaiian on there for all those pineapple lovers. So any of those. All right, perfect. And in terms of price range, is it an expensive place? Um, it's a pretty moderately priced place. Most of your pizzas are going to be between eleven and fifteen dollars. All right, perfect. So go for the crab cake, go for the vibe. Maybe try the pizza. Just be careful; it might will be gra- greasy. Yes. Katrina, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, last warning: if you don't like talking about blood or hearing about blood. You may want to skip the rest of the episode and just tune in next week. So the reason we did this story is because the American Red Cross is currently facing a shortage of blood, specifically O negative. I spoke with Regina Booth Bratton, who is a spokesperson for the local chapter of the Red Cross, 
who talked a little bit more about why the Red Cross is facing this shortage and where this blood goes once it's donated. So can I just start by getting your name? Sure, Regina Booth Bratton. I'm the external communications manager for the Red Cross. All right, so as I understand from talking with Jeremy, right now there's a bit of a shortage for O negative blood? For O blood. Uh, Yes, uh, that is the universal blood type. We have a severe shortage right now um, all across the country, but especially here in the greater Chesapeake and Potomac blood services region, which includes Frederick and Frederick County. So, yeah, we're putting out all the stops because we need folks to donate blood. It's it's a critical situation. All right, so what are some things that people need to know about donating blood before they might decide if they can come in and donate. Okay, well, the first thing I want to say is that, you know, it's not really top of mind for people to donate blood, but every two seconds someone in this country needs some type of blood or blood product, and it doesn't really become top of mind until it hits close to home. So when you're going to donate blood, make sure that you drink uh, a lot of water, make sure that you eat a healthy breakfast, you know, healthy lunch, Um, make sure that you are Feeling well, that uh, you need to be at least 110 pounds. If you want to donate platelets, we need you to be at least 150 pounds. Prepare to be in the donor center for about an hour. Um, if you download all of your paperwork ahead of time, as your colleagues did, it will shave a great deal of time off of that. Once you come into the donor center, you'll have to go through health history, which is private. And then once you go through health history, um, we put you on the bed and we collect that blood. We drain it. Okay, perfect. So when you're doing health history, it's asking about your like height, weight. They, I saw that they were getting their fingers correct. Yes. Uh, yeah. They uh, blood pressure. Um, uh, they test for uh, all types of things, and they ask for all ask you all types of uh, questions that are are of a personal nature. Um, and so that's why it's uh, it's private. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, But uh, once you get through health history and your blood pressure and your temperature is uh, where it needs to be, then we put you on the bed. And and we want you to be calm when you come in, not to be excited, not to be stressed out. You know, come in when you're relaxed. With the um, blood pressure, are there any, like, disqualifying blood pressures? Well, if it's too high, high, if your blood pressure is too high, then yes, then that would probably disqualify you. Other disqualifying factors, and I wouldn't call them disqualifying, I would say um, deferral factors. Um, We'd ask you to come back because we don't want to disqualify anyone. But um, if you've traveled to certain parts of the the world that maybe have experienced some epidemic, um, again, if you're not feeling well, if you're under weight um if you're coming in and and you're already lightheaded you haven't eaten a breakfast there's those types of issues that will require us to um, defer okay so any height and as long as you're 110 pounds you need to be 110 pounds you need to be an adult or in certain certain states you can be 16 years old with a parental consent in other states uh, 17 years old but we have everything that you need to know um, at redcrossblood.org and you can even um, put in your zip code and it will populate with a list of donation centers that are conveniently located near you also um, we have a really cool app where you can trace your blood donation. It's called My Blood's Journey. So a lot of people want to know, well, where's my blood going? Well, My Blood's Journey will tell you where your blood is going, whether it's to Children's Hospital or to the hospital in Frederick, or it could be going to Johns Hopkins. But we prioritize our local needs first, and then we look at needs outside of the state, outside of the region. 
All right, perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And of course, we had two News Post reporters who decided that they were going to help with this shortage by donating their blood. So we had Ryan Marshall, who's our transportation reporter, and Jeremy Arias, who is our cops and courts reporter. Now, Jeremy joins me now to talk a little bit about the process for donation and what it actually is like to donate your blood. Jeremy's a, a little nervous, if you can't yeah. tell. Yeah, <laughs> don't worry. I just want to see your arm and let me check your veins. Okay? Okay. I guess I, I can't oh. really talk as someone who chickened out, as Jeremy said. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What's that? That is the tourniquet for hold your arm. Okay. So I will do a little pressure in your arm for uh, putting your vein up. A little? <laughs> a little. Just a little. Okay. A squeeze. One, two, three, and hold. It's like being inspected by a vampire. Yeah. Yeah, this arm is not a good arm. It's not a good arm? Mm-mm. Why not? I cannot find any vein. Oh, no. We're going to have to We're gonna have to cancel. She can't find my vein. <laughs> oh, okay. One second. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Don't worry about it. One second. Let me add a second one. Second what? They really, they're really what? making sure you can because find I a vein. Yes. I have terrible veins too, so another excuse for why I, I couldn't do it today. As entertaining as you are, I'm just going to go check in on Ryan to see how he's doing. We'll be back over <laughs> to see how you're doing. Take a deep breath and enjoy. <laughs> All right, Ryan, as I... I've mentioned yeah. I don't like the sight of blood, so I'm going to stay on this side. Yeah, good thing you're a health reporter, though. Oh, yeah, right? I thought I was going to be a doctor, too. <laughs> <laughs> How are you feeling? Good. Um, uh, there's a little pinch when it goes in, and then uh, you can feel it in there, but it's not a big deal. So. All right, perfect. So how much blood is com- going to be taken out? A pint. A pint? Mm-hmm. All right. So now you just sit here? Yeah. I'm just going to squeeze a little bit. I guess to keep the blood... And how long will this last? Uh, average, definitely six, six to twelve minutes is average. 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 All right. Well, do you want him to be slower or faster? Like uh, we can encourage him to <laughs> to bleed. He's doing perfect. <laughs> yeah, he's doing perfect. All right. You feeling pretty good? Yeah. You feeling a little better than Jeremy over there? He's a little I, nervous. I, <laughs> I will not include what Jeremy just did in this right. podcast. Six minutes and 43 seconds. All right. So I understand you're done? Magical yeah. Numbers. Six minutes and 43 seconds. Oh, my God. Is it a record? Is it already? Yeah. So Jeremy's currently um, bleeding for us, and he's a little nervous. I have actually given blood, sweat, no tears, because I never cry. Do you want to cry but right now? A little bit, but I'm not going to. Uh, but I've actually given blood, sweat, and, and figurative tears for this news company. Well, we thank you all the time. We, we here at uh, Frederick and Cutter are just so grateful. <laughs> you hear that? What? Oh, wow. I'm, I'm wiping the floor with you, Ryan. Yeah, I know, but I'm almost done now. And it's yeah. not a competition, ladies and gentlemen. It's totally a competition now that I'm winning. I'm winning. <laughs> Celia, am I winning? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you hear that, Ryan? Take that, Marshall. Five minutes. Five minutes? Yeah. How long did his take? Six minutes and 40 seconds. That's good. Yes. So you did 
did, you beat it. And I want to just tell you that the average I asked is between six to twelve minutes. So you're you're above average. You are above average. <laughs> Don't tell any vampires. Thank you. Please get this needle out. <laughs> All right, Jeremy. I'm gonna tell Graham to bleep that one. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. It's, I'm feeling a lot better as soon as this needle gets out of me. Okay, so Jeremy, tell me a little bit about how you first decided you were going to donate your blood. Uh, so it wasn't so much of a decision, um, so much as it was a a factor of of circumstances that 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 led me to eventually agree to it, uh, albeit against uh, my better judgment at the time. Um, we were having a pretty slow news day uh, when the Red Cross uh, came out with a release. Um, it caught my eye. Um, my inbox was pretty uncluttered. Uh, I was taking a look at some criminal cases I had, um, but there wasn't a whole lot going on. So I, I spent a little time reading through the release, and, and I noticed that uh, Red Cross was saying the holiday season is a very uh, slow season for donations. They were looking for particular blood types in general and just donations overall. Um, they had a, and they were they were holding a number of different drives uh, all across the state, but just uh, a whole bunch of them in Frederick County. Um, so I decided, you know, okay, I've got some time today. I'm going to dive into this. I'm a little curious about why the holidays are such a slow time um, and, and what exactly the shortage might be due to. Uh, and in speaking with Regina, who I, I think um, uh, you've spoken to as well for the story, um, Regina uh, Booth Bratton, I believe uh, is her name, uh, she was telling me some of the reasons why it's a little bit slower. Uh, and as we were talking, I mentioned kind of offhandedly, um, oh, well, you know, uh, yeah, I was, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll make it out there and, and make a donation myself, ha, 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 just sort of kind of filling in the conversation, not really intending to go through with that at all. Um, but she, uh, much to my dismay, pounced on that immediately and was like, oh my God, that would be great. That would be so fantastic. If you wanted to do that, please let me know if you do. Where do you think you'd go? Here's how to sign up, all this stuff. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, it was a little too late for me to, um, uh, to, to back out of that at that point. Um, and knowing it, it was for a good cause as well. Um, so I was um, uh, talked into it um, from that point uh, and then turned around and said, you know, if I'm going to have to go through this and have a needle stuck in my arm, might as well uh, let um, the uh, podcast crew here at the, the newspaper know so that my suffering is not um, entirely in vain. Um no pun intended. Um, we can we can get um, some more publicity for uh, th- this good event for these donations um, um, that way. All right. Well, and misery likes company, so you managed to convince um, transportation reporter Ryan Marshall to also donate his blood. Um, so, but I guess you know, since we went and we watched you do this, can you talk um, us through a little bit just what it was the process for get um, for deciding to donate? Just so. People who might be listening um, and decide that they want to do this know what to expect. Sure. Um, so you can technically walk in at any time and uh, and sign up. It, it is a lot more efficient if you sign up ahead of time. So if you take a look at that article um, that ran uh, last week um, and look at some of those times, you can go to the Red Cross's uh, blood donation website. That link is up 
with our story on. You can find it very easily. Um, you just uh, that website allows you to just put in your zip code. Uh, it shows you where you can donate, uh, and it helps you get started uh, answering some of the basic questions right away and scheduling an appointment, uh, which is also important for them to know. Because if you come in, um, just walk in without an appointment, you're going to be uh, waiting behind somebody who may have scheduled an appointment. Uh, whereas if you come in with a time designated, they can get right to you. And it's actually very quick um, uh, if you've done that little bit of legwork beforehand. Um, uh, so, I mean, <clears throat> you you just um, uh, get going with that before uh, answering those questions and, and that questionnaire. And then once you get in, um, you, you fill out a couple of, um, uh, uh, you answer a, a, a number of questions based on your, your, your medical history and, um, uh, places you've traveled, uh, things like that. I think we've talked, we talked a little bit about that the day of, um, some of the questions they'll ask you, uh, you'll, you'll go into a, a private room, um, where a, a representative with Red Cross will ask you some of the more personal questions, uh, medical history wise, that sort of thing. Um, and and identification wise as well, uh, and then you get out there onto the um, the bloodletting floor, for lack of a better uh, term. All right. So you from there you go, and I understand you kind of sit, lay in these blue chairs that are there. Kind of a way to describe, I guess, what you um, are doing, and so then they hook you up to. The donation machine? <laughs> yeah, so, um, and I kept trying to cross my legs because that makes me more comfortable. I, I fidget. Um, I don't know if you notice when I'm in the office, but like I'm doing it right now. Obviously, you can't see, but you probably hear to my voice. Like my knees are constantly like, bum, 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 bum. so like I like to move around a lot. And she's just like, no, stop doing that. <laughs> so it was, <laughs> it was a little weird um, for, for me to do that, to, to adjust to that. You have to sit still. Uh, but yeah, you're 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 laying not not prone. Your your head is up. Your your back is supported, um, and your legs are out in front of you. But it's it, it's more or less a um, a relaxed uh, seating position that you're in, almost lying down. Um, and they yeah they um they they basically have um they'll you know wipe off the mm. area, make sure it's clean, and then they show you this immense. Not immense. Gigantic. Not that big. It's huge. Not that huge. It is terrifying. Uh, just like uh, needle of death. Not um, of death. And and they're just like, yeah, you know, we're gonna stick this in your arm. And she, um, for the longest time, Celia was the woman that was helping me. She's a really nice woman. Um, she couldn't find my vein, so she's just like poking around. She's like, I want you to flex for me, and I'm just like, kind of you know nervous because I don't like needles and you know um all that stuff so i'm just like oh my gosh you can't find a vein well you know like uh, I, you, you'll probably get enough blood from ryan he's fine like he's a real tall guy you know, <laughs> she's just like no 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 she's very determined she found it they they put it in and um and then boom you're you're off to the races and you pretty much just lay there while your blood comes out yeah um so she asked me i'm not sure if it was just me specifically <laughs> like um like just to keep my mind focused on something other than the the massive needle in my arm that I, that was making me so obviously uncomfortable, or, or what it was. But she was telling me um, every five seconds or so to, um, uh, you know, gently clench my fist uh, of the of the hand that's um, that's hooked up to the vampire machine, um, 
uh, I, I don't know if, if Ryan was doing that as well. I, I, I took it as fairly standard, but she might have just trying, been trying to get my mind off of um, being nervous. I'm not sure if Ryan had to do it. Ryan um, was on the opposite side of the room. I mean, you guys were pretty close, but a little bit further away, and he kind of just lied there, and his blood came out, and then he was done, and he had his juice box. We cheered with, I got a juice box for just showing up. Yeah, which I don't understand, <laughs> um, because you didn't donate blood, but you got a juice box anyway. I thought that was for the real I, champions in the room. I have to say, I think the people were afraid that I might pass out and they're just like, here, have some sugar, have some juice. Um, well, did they give you cookies? They did not give me cookies. Ah, so okay. I Those only got were, the juice. Right. Uh, so Ryan and I drank our juice together while he was uh, getting blood and while we were waiting for you to get hooked up to what you call the vampire machine. Mm. Um, so I guess they were telling me that it takes about an average person six to 12 minutes to donate blood, but you were way above average. Oh, yeah. Um, and and um, by the time they finished with Ryan, I think he was in at like six minutes. What, what, six minutes, 40 seconds, I think, for uh, him yeah, to and I, donate I, a pint. I wiped the floor with him. Um, uh, and, you know, it, it wasn't a competition up until I realized I was winning, <laughs> um, in which case, absolutely, yeah, it's a competition. Um, and so, like maybe like 10 seconds before I'm done, they're like, oh, you're almost done. And I'm like, what am I at? And they're like five minutes, you know, 15 seconds. I think I finished around like five minutes, 20-something seconds. And I was just like, it's a competition now. Booyah! <laughs> First place. So, yeah, I'm apparently, um, um, I, I have thin blood or I'm very susceptible. I'm, I, I would be like a delicacy to Dracula's everywhere. Um, so you once they donate the or get the pint of blood that they want in the bag, they were also taking some for testing. Yeah. So um, through through the lens of my of my sheer terror, um, I just wanted that needle out of me. Um, just I was just like, get this out. I'm done. Like you told me that I'm I'm good. But she uh, clamped it off, uh, clamped off um, part of the tube. Uh, and it is kind of interesting to see, like, oh, that's my blood, you know, because you could see it, you know. And she put a towel over the needle because she thought that would help me. And it's just like, no, it's not helping me. I can feel it in in me. <laughs> but um, uh, she she clamped off part of the tube and she, she redirected uh, and filled um, three smaller vials with uh, samples uh, that would be used for, um, uh, for, for testing uh, just to make sure. Uh, my blood is good. It's good to go. Um, uh, they can use that to get, I think, my blood type, which I just got back today. I just got the email with my official donor card. I am, I did not know this going in. You don't have to know your blood type going in. That's another important thing to point out. Um, I had no idea, but apparently I am type B positive. Um, and so I can donate to B positives, and I believe I'm, I, I can also donate to AB types as well. Uh, from what I just learned today in a follow-up email. Um, so they, they, they had a couple of vials they, they collected extra. And I understand that you also may find out in a couple of weeks where your blood went to? That Yeah, that's a possibility, um, which I thought was really, really interesting because I, I thought it would be, um, you know, super hush-hush, very confidential. But apparently they can give you some, not specifics, but they can give you some information about um, one of the examples that, that Regina gave me, I think I tried to include it in my story, is like they can tell you some some general, like your blood was um, uh, was sent to uh, a cancer patient at Johns Hopkins, like a 19-year-old who needed a transfusion, or, uh, you know, your your blood went to this hospital for, um, you know, this, this type of 
person for this kind of procedure, um, which I, I think is, you know, is, is really good because, I mean, it could, um, it could be the difference between, it, it makes it real um, for, for a lot of people who would think like, oh, you know, they're just going to take my blood and it's just going to, it's like, it's gone now. Um, it's not part of me. I don't care, but you know, it, it's, it's going toward helping somebody. And that one pint that, that I donated, the one pint that Ryan donated, um, that can help as many as three people. Each. Um, each. Well, one pint can help as many as three different people is what they were saying. Um, uh, which I mean is, uh, so I mean, it was a pretty good feeling afterward, uh, and and hopefully to to get some follow up on that, to to hear back where that might have gone. Uh, yeah, that that'll. I think if I'm ever going to donate again, that'll probably be uh, a huge reason why. Knowing that, obviously, you know it's going to go somewhere, and you know it's going to a good cause. But to get that validation of, yeah, it it this is where it really went, and and it actually made that impact, and you get to be um, made aware of that. That. Um, I, I think is um, is genius um, in terms of in terms of uh, the Red Cross's scheme to get people to hook themselves up <laughs> to a vampire machine. <laughs> well, Jeremy, anything else you think we should know about blood donations or where your uh, blood might go if you donate? Um, yeah, don't don't believe anybody that tells you it doesn't hurt. It it does. I mean, it's a freaking needle going into your arm, but it doesn't hurt that bad. Um, it really does not. And as big as it looks to your eyes, um, it, it, it really does not feel that way. I can't even see, um, looking at my arm right now. Um, obviously this is, you know, coming up on almost a week later, there's maybe a, a tiny little bruise left there. You can take off the bandages within an hour, um, four hours for the actual bandage over it. Um, and you're, you're right back to work. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I mean, it, it, if I can do it, um, somebody with my intense fear of, of needles and, uh, and all that, there, there's really no excuse for, for anybody else to say, I'm too squeamish for this. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. It doesn't hurt that bad. Uh, and it's worth it more than anything. It's worth it. Even if it, even if there is a prick, even if it does hurt a little bit, all that it's it's extremely worth it all right perfect well jeremy thank you so much thank you you can read all the stories discussed today at fredericknewspost.com frederick uncut is produced by me heather mangilio and edited by graham cullen we'll see you next week